So we've been talking about worship in a sense of how would you teach a new Christian or a young Christian. And so we've spent a lot of time over the last two weeks looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we just started to pivot to look at what Jesus had to say to uh, the woman at the well in John chapter 4 and verse 24. When she asks the question, where shall we worship? So we want to pick up there today, and then our, our goal for today is we want to look at what Jesus says about worshiping in the spirit and in truth. Then we want to go over and we want to look at why we sing the way we sing based on Ephesians 5 and Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we might also look at, at, at prayer. We'll just see how the, the morning goes. So let's look in John chapter 4 uh, and look at verse 19. This is where we were last week. It says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship him, where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And, and so we had a major shift here. And the way that there's a major shift here in terms of worship is under the Jewish law, you had all these ceremonies, all these different practices that, that had to be included in different aspects of worship. You had different holy days that they uh, would do different things on. Uh, and they would go into the tabernacle during Moses' time, or later on, once the temple is built, they would go into the temple. And they would burn incense, they would sacrifice animals, they would have different things that they did. But they were all physically oriented. And Jesus is saying there's a time coming, and it's here already, in Jesus' day, when there's that shift. And it's not going to be about the place where you worship. It's not going to be about this temple or that temple. So all the things in the temple were being transitioned away from. And Jesus says, here's what the difference is. God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And he says, these are the types of people that God wants to be his worshipers. And a lot of times we look at those worship in spirit and in truth part, but we miss uh, what Jesus said um, in verse 23, now is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. What does that say to you? That God says, that Jesus says, that God seeks a particular type of worshiper. What does that say about worship? Okay, they're, they're, okay. Versus, you know, there is something that fits what God wants and something that doesn't. Absolutely. And who decides that? God. Yeah, God. Uh, there's a, an implication here that uh, God chooses his worshipers, or at least accepts uh, maybe that worship. Maybe that seems a little, a little harsh. Maybe it seems like you're overclaiming the evidence a little bit when you look at that passage. 
But he says, this is who God seeks to be his worshipers. Those who worship in spirit and in truth. Okay? And so... Uh, You know, you look at it again, and that's how he says it. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God seeks, God is looking for, God is searching for these uh, types of, uh, of worshipers. I'm thinking also, is it 17? thinking also of, of an occasion in Saul's life, in King Saul in the Old Testament. Flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 15, and the context is, is that Samuel has already anointed Saul to be king, and he says, I want you to go and wait for me. I'm going to come to you after seven days. Uh, I will offer sacrifice uh, on your behalf uh, to God, and God will bless you. God's going to take care of you. God's going to give you victory. You don't have to worry about your enemies. Saul gets a little ambitious and a little anxious and he makes the sacrifice on him by himself and as soon as he's done making the sacrifice off in the distance here comes Samuel okay and notice the dialogue between Samuel and Saul first Samuel chapter 15 verse 20 then Saul said to Samuel I did obey the voice of the Lord I went on the mission on which the Lord sent me I have brought back Agag the king of Amalek uh, see, I've, I've misquoted the story here. This is, this is when he uh, uh, does not kill everything according to God's plan. Uh, I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took some of the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the choicest things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. So in verse 21, the context is that God told Samuel, or told Saul rather, when you go against Agag, I want you to completely destroy this nation because of what they did to the Israelites in the past uh, and this is their wickedness. I'm getting rid of the wickedness from the land. I want you to utterly destroy them. Don't keep anything God had told him. And yet Saul did uh, and notice how he frames it. Again in verse 21. But the people took some of the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. To me, that's kind of like, uh, you, some of you have probably heard me use this story before. This is a little kid who gets caught with their hand in the cookie jar, and they say, but Dad, it's for you. You know, I, I was getting the cookie for you. No, you weren't. You know, and, and Saul says, look, uh, you have, I didn't, I didn't want to keep these animals. I really didn't, but the people kept them, and they kept them so they could sacrifice to you, God. Okay. And so notice what Samuel's response is, verse 22. Has the Lord so much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed uh, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord your God, uh, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may, may worship the Lord. 
But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord your God, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And the reason I read this story is because sometimes we think, uh, if I worship God, if I make sacrifices to God, he has to accept my sacrifice. He has to accept my offerings. Well, no, he doesn't. Samuel, or Saul rather here, is making a sacrifice or saying he's going to sacrifice these animals. And the message that comes to him from God through Saul is, I'd rather have your obedience. The offerings aren't good. The sacrifices aren't good. Because it's not coming from your heart. You're not obeying. It's the same as if you had used divination. It's the same as if you had rebelled against me because you're not doing what I asked you to do and I'm not going to accept this sacrifice. And so the, we say all that to say when we come back here to John chapter 4 there is an element of worshiping God that says that God will accept true worship. It uses the Greek word lathia which means absolute truth. There's an absolute standard. There's absolute truth for how we are to worship. He wants us to have that inner truth within us. He wants us to be sincere. He wants our worship to be according to the standard of his truth, and it, it needs to be a spiritual worship. As we look at John chapter 4, the big shift is away from physical acts of worship to worshiping God in spirit. Does anyone have any questions or comments up to this point? Okay. You look like you have a question on your face, Ozzy. Am I reading you correctly? Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. I was in 1 Samuel 15, and then now I'm back in John chapter 4. Okay. It does, because, and, and it, it does for me, too, in the standpoint of we're all about the physical. You know, we're comfortable with the physical. We see the physical. We touch the physical. You know, we, we have a grasp on the physical, but the spiritual, what, how, how, how does that work? Other than I know that I have a spirit within me that God has created, uh, and, you know, maybe one aspect of that because when we go back to 1 Corinthians 14 and Paul says, I will pray with my mind and I will pray with my spirit also. You know, uh, that maybe there's a link there that helps us identify when I'm really thinking about it, I'm really cognizant of it, it's coming from within me as opposed to going through the physical motions of taking incense to the altar and throwing incense on the altar, having a priest throw incense on, on, on the altar. Uh, you know, we can go through those motions. And maybe that's what uh, Jesus has in, in mind it's a, it's a spiritual worship it's hard for me to control my spirit you know it's hard for me to connect necessarily with my spirit you know so one key for us is to keep in mind that the idea of a spirit you know is the is the idea of inner breath 
It comes from within. It is internal. Uh, and it is heartfelt. It is, it is mindful uh, as opposed to going through physical motions. That's a, I guess that would be my, my response. How, did, how does that feel for you? <laughs> does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. All right. So with that in mind, that's kind of a good lead way for us into Ephesians chapter 5. One of the things that we see uh, in our congregation and in most churches of Christ is that we worship partly by singing uh, and singing without instruments. And so for many in our culture, that's odd. Uh, because they see on TV, they see in other situations, maybe they grew up uh, having exposure to churches where maybe you had a piano, uh, maybe you had a full band, maybe you had a pipe organ. And, um, you know, and so you come to the Church of Christ, visit a Church of Christ, you visit this congregation uh, specifically, and you, where is that? You know, where, where are the instruments? Okay, and so what we want to do is look at Ephesians chapter 5. There's two passages in the New Testament that specifically mention, uh, for certain, singing within the church. And the, the passages are Ephesians 5 uh, here, uh, verse 19 and 20, and then also Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Okay? So what we want to do is look at the context. Notice, first of all, that Paul's writing to people of the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5. And he's talking to them as a church. He says, therefore, be chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Okay? But immorality or any impurity, greed, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. He's talking to the Ephesian church as a church. He's talking about them, talking to them, about what's going on among them and within them as a church. Verse 4, there must be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse gesting, which are not fitting, but rather a giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Okay, and so he's talking about them as a church. Now it's important for us to note that as he begins this discussion, he's making a distinction between the things that the world does and the things that they are to do as Christians. The way that the, church, that the world operates and the way that they as a church are to operate and to communicate and get along with one another. And notice how he really begins to make this distinction as we move into verse 6. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light comes or consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak about the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Okay, so if we pause here for just a second. Paul has just talked about the fact 
that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He's setting up the context for us to understand the pagan society of Ephesus and Asia Minor. There are some folks, when you look at the Ephesian letter, who think that maybe this was a circular letter that went to different churches in Asia. It's almost like in the Greek text that we have, that it's almost a form letter because it's to the saints who are at, and there's literally a space in the manuscripts that we have, as if the reader was to fill in whatever name of the church he was at. Uh, so we could spend a lot of time just talking about that, a little historical trivia. But our point here is it came to be known as the church, the letter to the church at, at, of Ephesus. Uh, there was a large pagan society in Asia Minor. Every city had its patron god. Every cult, or not every, every cult, obviously, but every trade guild, every occupation had their patron god. And they would have annual festivals. They would have regular meetings. And in these meetings, they would gather together. And to include their patron god, it was customary to set out a plate of food and wine, as if to say, the god is here fellowshipping with us as we have our, our meeting, as we have our gathering. And Paul is saying here, don't participate in the deeds of darkness. And specifically what he has in mind is idolatry. Again, if you look at verse 5, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater. He's linking these things with idolatry. And he says, no one who participates in those things has an inheritance with God. Verse 6, don't let them deceive you with empty words. Verse 7, don't be partakers with them. Because formerly you were darkness, but now you're enlightened the Lord. That's what the world is doing. And maybe you're still someone that works with metal. Maybe you're still a physician. Maybe you're still in this trade. And there's enormous pressure on you to go to those meetings, go to those festivities, and engage in that type of stuff. And he says, don't even participate. Don't even talk about those things that's done with them because you've come from darkness to light. Now notice as we come into verse 15 how he continues to make this distinction. He says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And so here, I believe, is where he really begins to make a distinction between the assemblies, the gatherings, uh, the festivities of, of the pagan culture, where they would have that wine, and they felt like it was a way of connecting with that God, that patron deity that they had. And as much as you drink, the more you're fellowshipping with that deity. And more importantly, in their mind, as you fill up the deity with those things, He's more empowered then to bless you with whatever your occupation is. And Paul says, you walk as wise men. Understand what God's will is. Don't be filled with wine, because really all that does is get you drunk, make you do silly things. And then he says, here's how you get filled with the Spirit. 
He says, verse 18, at the end of it, but be filled with the Spirit. How? Verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. The context of Paul's writing, first of all, is to them as a church, and he says, speak to one another. They are speaking to each other. And that's important because, you know, 20 years ago, most people in, the, in, in Churches of Christ took this passage at face value, and they understood it to be worship. When we assemble together to worship. In recent years, it's been in vogue for, for folks to say, well, he's not really talking about the worship assembly. He's talking about other things. Well, the question then is, well, what other things is he talking about? What other occasions do we have to speak to one another? I had one guy tell me a few years ago that, he was saying that, that Paul was talking about families. And he said, well, this is talking about when you're in your families. You're supposed to speak to one another. I said, really? You, you speak in your family in, in songs? He goes, yes, my, my family, we sing to each other all the time. And I thought, that's really kind of funny to me. You know, well, how does that go? You know, do you tell your son, take out the trash, you know, take out the trash? You, know, you don't, we don't talk that way in our family. So it's kind of ridiculous to me. But there's been a, a push by some to say this is talking about something else. And that begs the question then to define, well, what is that something else then? But very clearly, Paul is talking about their assembly. He says, speak to one another. And they uses a Greek, in the Greek language, a structure which says it's something that they're doing together. They're speaking together. And some of you have heard me talk about this passage before. It's a reciprocal pronoun that he uses. We could spend a lot of time looking at the Greek if you really wanted. Uh, Kimberly tells me no one really wants to spend that much time <laughs> looking at the Greek. But the point is, it, it's a structure which says we're talking to each other. Much like if Jay and I were having a conversation, we would both be talking. If it was a diatribe, one of us would be talking, and the other one would be listening. Uh, but he uses language that makes it clear they are talking with each other. Notice the manner in which they are talking. In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's a combination of the three. A lot of people like to really carve those up and make, make a distinction between a psalm, a hymn, and a spiritual song. What do those things mean? Uh, you know, and I don't know necessarily that we need to get into all of that, except to say that perhaps in recent years, you know, there are some people that get upset if all you sing are praise songs. Uh, some people get upset if you don't sing only praise songs. There's a purpose to our singing. And Paul says, include all of these things, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then he says, as we come here, I've got to find my place here. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. And so he uses the idea here of singing and making melody in your heart to God. Where is the melody supposed to be made? In your heart. Okay. Uh, and how does that fit with what Jesus said to the woman at the well about worshiping in spirit and in truth? Where is our worship supposed to originate from? 
absolutely. It's supposed to originate within. It is a spiritual worship. It's no longer that physical worship. As we continue looking at the text, uh, he says in verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even the Father. So we give thanks. So we're singing and making melody with our hearts to the Lord. Now what's interesting, who's the Lord? Based on verse 20, who is the Lord? Jesus. Okay. So who is the object of worship? Jesus. And then in verse 20, he says, Give thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to who? To God. So we worship God and we worship Christ. Okay. Uh, and, and so that is becomes the object of our worship, our singing. But there's also a secondary purpose in our worship. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And that secondary purpose in our worship is to build each other up. Again, here he says, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I'm giving thanks to God in my singing. I'm making melody in my heart to God, but I'm also speaking to those in worship. How does this impact those who would say, I can worship by myself? How does this passage impact those, or how does it relate, how does it address those who would say, I can worship by myself? Absolutely. There, are, there needs to be a time when we get together and we worship together because we are speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, is it possible for me during the course of the week for me to praise God and worship God on my own? Yeah, abs absolutely. Uh, but there needs to be that time that we gather together and we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay? Uh, some people seize on that idea of making melody. because It comes from a, a word that means to pluck the strings. And many people have said, well, that's talking about like a, a harp. And there's been a lot of study by people inside and outside churches of Christ, inside and outside Christian fellowships that practice acapella singing, uh, and looking at the history of that word. Uh, and even those who come from backgrounds where they worship with all sorts of instruments, the conclusion is that in the first century, the idea here is to of make melody in your heart is plucking the strings of the heart. And sometimes we use that phrase even today, plucking the heart strings. And, but even if we didn't understand that Greek word to mean that, Paul still follows it up with the prepositional phrase, Make melody in your heart. The in your heart is a separate prepositional phrase. He's saying, make melody in your heart to God or to the Lord. And so when some people says, well, why do you worship the way you do? Why don't you use instruments as well? It's because we have the example of the church singing. 
And the idea of singing here seems to be a cappella singing. The word singing, that's translated sing and make melody in your heart, was a word for saying that was with the absence of instruments. When we look over at what Paul says to the church at Colossae, in Colossians chapter 3, he says something very similar, and yet there is some added detail in what he says in Colossians 3, 16 and 17 that is important for our understanding of the purpose of our singing. Can I get somebody to read Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17? Thank you. Okay, so first of all, what are some parallels? When you look at the opening of verse 16, how does the idea of let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, how does that match up with what he said over there in Ephesians chapter 5? What is the, what is the connecting thought? Yes. In Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And here he says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. How are those two related thoughts? How do we receive the Word of God? We, we hear it. Okay, and where did it originate? What is the source? Where did is that the Bible? Where did the Bible come from? Inspiration. Yes. Okay. And Peter tells us men were moved by the Spirit. Okay. So in, in Ephesians 5, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And remember in the occasion, the occasion of paganism in Ephesus? People thought, I can commune with this deity by enjoying a meal in an assembly with that deity and drinking wine with that deity, eating food with that deity. And Paul says, in contrast there, don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit by singing and making, or singing, or speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Here, Paul says, let the Word of God richly dwell within you. And then he adds, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. How does that line up with Ephesians chapter 5? What in Ephesians chapter 5? He said, do what to one another? Speak to one another. And here he says, we are to do what with one another? Yes, teaching and admonishing one another. Okay? So now, when I put these two passages together... What is a purpose of my singing in a worship assembly? Am I just speaking about anything? No. 
I'm speaking to teach and admonish. What does the word admonish mean? Sometimes to correct, okay? And sometimes to warn, and sometimes to urge. Hey! Okay? So the purpose of my singing is not simply to give praise to God, that's a part of it, but it is also for us to teach and admonish one another. And so for me personally, now here comes Ron Book's opinion, but for me personally, a worship service that only has those praise songs, uh, you know, Unto Thee, O Lord, and that's a great praise song. I love that. It's one of my favorites. But there also needs to be a place in our worship service for those spiritual hymns, to the work, to the work. Is that teaching me? Is that admonishing me? Absolutely. And there are some folks that say, oh, we only need one or the other. No, we need all of it. Paul says in Ephesians 5, we need all of it. He says here in Colossians chapter 3, we need all of it. Is it an encouraging thing to think of David's psalm? Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul? Uh, I can't even remember how that song goes. I almost have to sing it. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul? You know, um, let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Is that an encouraging song? I can have faith in God. He's going to take care of me. But then I need those songs to the work. Um, uh, angry words, well, let them never from your tongue and brow slip. Man, I could really use that a lot, right? And so our singing has all of these things, all of these purposes. And again, as we look at Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing. Again, notice this. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When I sing, I need to have that idea of thankfulness, and that thankfulness is directed to God. And again, where does it originate? In my heart. Which, again, coincides with what Jesus said in John chapter 4. Our worship is now a spiritual worship. And so when people ask, why don't you worship with instruments? This is why. We are directed to sing with our hearts. It is to be a spiritual worship. God is the object of our singing. Even though we have this sideways motion, if you will, of teaching and admonishing one another. But when we look at the text in, in the original language, the idea of singing is just that singing without the accompaniment of instruments. If I trust God, that he would tell me what he wants me to do, if he wanted me to have all these other things, I believe he would have told me to do that. I don't think he would just leave me hanging. If that's what he wanted, I can know for sure he would have told me, this is what I want. Uh, any questions or comments on that? No? Okay. All right. It's, it's odd to me sometimes when you link, think about the New Testament of how little is said about 
How do you worship? What else do you do? What, you know, what are the things that the early church did? But we can find those nuggets in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14, here in Ephesians and Colossians, which tell us these are some of the things that they did. Uh, let's look at, I'm not sure what time it is. Jay, do you have a clock to be able to watch on? 1014. Well, that's a good place to stop then. Uh, when we come back next week, let's look at uh, the offering. Uh, let's look at prayer, uh, and we'll take it from there. Thank you very much for your attention. We'll get started with worship here in just a moment.